0: How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. Today's guest is David Walker. David is the owner of iSell Consulting, LLC consulting firm specializing in media relations, compliance, and wire telecommunications. He lives just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. David, welcome to the show.
1: Welcome. Glad to be here, Sanjay.
0: Um, so I'm excited to have you on because there's a lot of interesting aspects of your background um, that I've actually had the good fortune of being able to touch upon uh, over the years. Um, but before we get into all of that, give us a kind of a two-minute background on you and what got you to where you are today.
1: That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my my college days were spent uh, in near the Macon, Middle Georgia area, and I, ga- I graduated from college with a, an M, an, an MBA, business management. So I went from there into the AT and T world of of telecommunications, starting with Southern Bell, then going to Bell South Mobility, then Bell South uh, Corporate, then Bell South uh, Sailor, and ultimately back to AT and T. So where my career started in. 1978 with Southern Bell and under the ATT umbrella, I finally wound up 38 years later with ATT and t and <laughs> that on my paycheck. So it's kind of interesting how that evolved. But I, but I wound up in the AT&T uh, Southern Bell uh, department in a network organization, which was not my intention with a, with a business degree, but nonetheless, that's where I was. And I managed to kind of work my way up through the ranks in that department because it was very interesting to me how the technology worked from the landline world into uh-huh. finally the wireless world which is right. where i wound up but it was, it was really a good evolution for a career real balance to see all the things happen and we were just talking earlier about technology with devices you know to see the people talking using their cord phones in the wall and then the, the neat thing was to have your home phone be a cordless phone that was a big deal but then you went from that to having cordless things in your car plane or boat doesn't matter you're you're wireless everywhere you go so that's the new world we're in it's Really exciting to see how that's gonna go.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what was it that originally drove you to get a job in telecom?
1: Uh,
0: Uh, Like, why did you make that move?
1: (laughs) Well, that's a very good question. My father, who was also a career telephone, uh, uh, well, not an engineer, he was a marketing guy, but he was in the, the telephone business with Southern Bell for 30 years. And then also my brother, was a 30-year man, and my sister was a 10-year uh, person in, in telecommunications with Southern Bell. So the whole family's got cone-bell-shaped heads for how we evolved in that world of technology. So uh, my father told me to come to Atlanta, get on with Southern Bell, take any job they've got, and the job that I took was as a clerk inside a network organization. So that's how I started network uh, engineering in a, in, a, in a company where I had no clue what they did. Then it just evolved from there.
0: I, I'm imagining you uh, had never done and never learned anything about network engineering or anything else like that in college.
1: No, there, there was no there was no real training for that, and and even in the wireless world when you know cell phones started to kick around in 1983 and 1984, the only way engineers learned the technology was from the vendors who made the equipment. So the oh. Motorola, AT&T, Ericsson, uh, Astronet, those companies taught us how to use their equipment in our network. And that's how we became wiser and more more bold.
0: So, I, I mean, thinking back to those days, uh, did it seem like those vendors actually knew what they were talking about, or were they just groping around in the dark too?
1: Well, these engi- these engineers from these companies were previous landline builders of equipment. So okay. when they converted a a, you know, a switch, for example, a, a telephone switch, which is the kind of a hub of the wheel. When you build those in the wireless world, there's no difference between the wireline switch and the wireless switch. It's just how the information gets out of the building. So in one case, it goes through wires in the mm-hmm. wireline world, and the wireless goes through an antenna at the top of a tower. Yeah. But all the equipment the infrastructure is basically the same. So those people were trained on their equipment in a wireless and wireline world simultaneously.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, you spent a, a long time uh, in the Bell system uh, and then landed back. You know, AT&T, is a, it's an interesting thing, right? They broke it apart in the 80s and then it just kind yeah. of reformed later on. Yes.
1: Um,
0: and, and then you ended up uh, coming back to the mothership there. Um, so in leaving there, was this your first time doing something entrepreneurial or had you done something entrepreneurial before, like in college or when you were younger?
1: No, this was definitely the first time. Uh, it's, 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 you know, in my world, you'd hire on with a company, you'd stay there. There was no moving company, company, company like it is today with young people that are able to take their talents and shape them into different jobs or careers that they want to make. In, in my old world, it was like you're a, a tired, a, not tired, but a, but an embedded kind of person to grow through the business, however you wanted to make it through. Uh, but what when I, when I was going to say was a lot of people left the company would go on to other consulting jobs. So my inclination was when I retired is to find some part of my career that I did very well or thought I did very well, maybe, maybe parlay that into a, an extra career outside the company. So others had done it. I just kind of followed their suit, formed an LLC for $400 with the state of Georgia, and I was on my way.
0: Yeah. And what made you make that move? Was it just You'd been at at t long enough in, in the system, you just wanted to retire and kind of do a little bit of work or, or what was that thought process?
1: Kind of the latter part. The, they offered a retirement package. So there was kind of an attractive time to leave knowing that that might be the last package or incentives to, to get people out of the business. So I just right. took advantage of that and then formed the company after six months of being out of the business to uh, re- re-enter.
0: Yeah. So okay, so you you start a, a consulting firm on your own. Um, are you still a one man shop?
1: Yes, yeah. I am.
0: So how has that been in terms of starting this? Like, what were your challenges that that you ended up facing early on?
1: Well, total control is a nice thing, but you, but you know it also can be kind of uh, strenuous at times. So I was able to just manage the work as I wanted it at told me that as the cases come in for what I was doing for them, if I didn't want to do the case, I could decline and then move on to the next one. So they they worked with me uh, pretty well with that. So it was not hard to do and navigate.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So what was it that you were doing? So you, so oh. you started consulting and you were working back for ATD again
1: though? Yes. So my, my expertise at the end of my career was being able to look at telephone records that were created by our billing department. So every... Customer in our business obviously has a bill they pay every month, whether it's bills for text messaging, voice, or data. And those three things were the pieces of information that were on this massive document that would go to the customers for them to pay. In in the world of in the world of criminology, when when they grow people out there making doing bad things, they use their phones, they use their devices. And the law enforcement people are able to take those records find the individual's name, find the individual's numbers that were called or dialed, and then track that back to where that person might have been had they been holding the phone during the commission of a crime, for example. So my first case I had was in South Georgia where someone had done something wrong and they wanted to know where they had come from to arrive at where the crime scene was. And I was able to use the telephone records to track this individual and the phone all the way back to South Carolina. So our phone records showed cell site by cell site by cell site by cell site site to the town of South Georgia and where the crime occurred. And they put two and two together with this individual having the phone and owning the phone and his records indicating that to where the crime occurred and the time and date stamp that was associated with it. And we convicted that person pretty quickly.
0: So was this, you were working for AT&T as a consultant or for law enforcement?
1: Uh, I was working for for AT&T. So I I was their custodian of record. That was my title. So I was the I person see. who would interpret the records and share that information with people who didn't completely understand it, uh, and the district attorney's office, or the defense for that matter, and help the court as a whole understand how these records were created and used to track phones that, that happened, I mean, phones as they occur in the network.
0: Right. Um, super fascinating. So uh, at t would be a part of these proceedings because they were the service provider, and so they would be subpoenaed or whatever, and so yes. they would send you. Yes. to show up for them and kind of explain what's going on. Exactly. Okay. And and was this a, so for you, um, how many years did you do this? And, and are you still doing it?
1: Uh, I did it for seven years and then kind of semi got out of it again in 2022. So I'm waiting on that next big event for me to get back <laughs> in. But right now I'm sort of skating out of the, out of the, out of the uh, business.
0: And so in those uh, seven or so years, how many cases would you imagine that you've gone on for ATT? and
1: I've probably worked on over 200 cases. Wow. So it was a lot. You know, Half the cases would usually get uh, resolved before my appearance, you know, plea bargain, okay. plea deals, because obviously when the evidence is presented to the defense in the way that it was, it's pretty clear that the, the individual that we're looking at had some proximity to where a crime and date and time it occurred and therefore makes it pretty evidential, although circumstantial, they might have been involved. Right. Um,
0: okay, so this is interesting. So you had this uh, consulting business that you started, uh, and was it only AT&T that you were, was your client, or was there anybody else?
1: No, I, I did on occasion represent other carriers if they let me, You know, whether it was Sprint or Verizon. Phone records in general are pretty much standard. I mean, they're the, how the information is transmitted to the cell site, to the telephone switch and then back to the database where the billing records are created, all that's kind of a standard thing. The format may be different slightly, but nonetheless, the information is all there. So there was a few cases where I did other types of billing, whether it was even landline, for example, I did a landline case uh, for credit card fraud. And then in other cases, what my, excuse me, what might have been for Sprint 18 uh, Verizon, I, I kind of helped out with them.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1990. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, business insurance experts. So this is interesting. So you really had kind of one major client. Did this, worry you in terms of you know, income and and having a, a throughput, or was it steady anyways? And you're like, there's always going to be cases, so it doesn't really matter if it's only right. one client. There, there was
1: all I knew. There's always going to be cases because it, it would get busy at different times of the year. Toward the end of the year, it was pretty busy because people trying to wrap up cases before the closeout of a calendar year. So usually November, December were kind of heavy. You know, the January, February timeframes were a little easier. Uh, so I, and again, I can pick and choose which cases I want to support, and there are other individuals in the company that do what I do so I was not the only custodian of record representing T in the United States there there were a number of others who also did it
0: so uh, how is it that you picked cases that you wanted to work on was it like locations that you wanted to visit or like,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean some of it uh, certain certain airports that I've been in, I don't want to go back to. <laughs> I feel you. There's certain so, airports
0: I never want to so go to
1: either. It's, it's difficult to maneuver in the time and in the weather. Uh, it was uh, it was not fun. So if I wasn't having fun and enjoying it, then there was really no need to do it. But, right. But some of them were. I mean, I went from California to New York to South Florida to Texas. I've been around the country. Uh, even Alaska was one case that was uh, quite a quite a tremendous burden in Juneau, Alaska, where I had to fly into Seattle and puddle jumper from Seattle up to Juneau and then Juneau back to Seattle and Seattle back. I mean, you're changing time zones. It's just crazy.
0: It uh, is so crazy. Guys,
1: that, that wore me out. So I knew then I said, this might need me to slow down a little bit.
0: Yeah. No, no more Alaska cases. No, uh, at that no. Point. You, you didn't happen to see the Northern lights while you were there. Did you? I did
1: not. Oh man. But,
0: that would have been the, the icing at least on the cake of like, oh, you go through all that pain. At least you get to see the Northern lights. Yes. Um, is too far South. I think to be able to see those, uh, feel um so okay uh, you you mentioned before uh like you're the one in charge and you get to do all the decisions and everything yeah um was there anything that made you nervous about doing this or was it all like hey this is just for fun on the side
1: it was for fun on the side i mean that was my attitude toward it except obviously very serious of course what i was doing but uh nonetheless at, at my age and my <laughs> my time in the business there was really nothing i hadn't seen that was worrisome so it, it was just something you had to do. And you just understood clearly what you're presenting to the court. As long as you stay on track, there's no issues, really.
0: Yeah. Do, do you ever remember a time when you were stumped uh, on the witness stand? Like something came across that you were like totally not expecting?
1: Yeah, there was one time. And I had to pause and uh, and, and ask for recess while I went to the phone and called my uh, at compliance people and said, this is happening now. This is the record they're asking Here's how they're posing it. What do you recommend? And so they they walked me through the information that I needed to provide back to the court. And it was, I did it real, real easily that way. But yeah, I was definitely stumped a few times.
0: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, For most people, I think that would be a nerve wracking yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, but you know, like for you, uh, as the custodian of record or the witness, like it's not like you're going to go to jail uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it. So I guess no. a little bit lighter stakes than uh, than whoever else is uh is there um okay well, let's kind of switch gears a little bit uh, okay. and talk about kind of health and wellness you did a lot of traveling probably for these cases kind of in and out and having to be in a suit and tie and sitting in a courtroom so yeah. probably i've seen a lot more cases than any of the rest of us have um how did you manage like the stress of all that and kind of everything else in life how did you manage that
1: well, uh, I, you know, I prepared myself. You know, obviously, having done it a few times ahead, you know the next case is going to be this, and you know what to expect. The, right. the worst part of everything that we did was, or I did rather, was the waiting. You know, you had to wait for the, the witness ahead of you to finish, and then they go to recess, and then they, they go back to that witness. They drive out a little more, then they go to lunch. And then by the time they've done all this, uh, it, it's just a long time of sitting. There, there was one case in Atlanta where, uh, the defendant uh, spoke Portuguese, and that was his primary language. And he understand, he understood a little bit of English. So the, the prosecution was asking the defendant questions, and he was struggling to answer. So the defense for this person said, y'all got to get an interpreter in here. And so they said, hang on. And they went outside the court, made some calls, and they found an interpreter in Atlanta who speaks fluent for Portuguese and brought this person in to interpret. So when they got wow. seated... The judge asked for their declaration paperwork that said they're official and are capable of understanding Portuguese and then translating it. They didn't have the paper. So we had to wait another two hours for them to create a document to go back to certify this person on the stand. And then, as, and of course, you imagine that drags the trial out twice as long because every word that's said by the prosecutor or defense had to be re said in Portuguese and then back and forth, back and forth. So it took twice oh, yeah. as long. So I'm out. That took me about Eight hours that day in court, sitting around just waiting for this all to happen. And then around just five, waiting
0: for your turn. Yeah.
1: And around five o'clock, I got pulled in. So I was very happy I got pulled in at the end of the day, but it was rush hour by then here in Atlanta. Not <laughs> fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. How how long was it for your testimony for that case, if you remember?
1: You know, that was the that was amazing thing. Sometimes I was on the stand for uh, 40 to 50 minutes, other times two minutes. So, oh, wow. Uh, and then now, uh, yeah, some of these I flew to California one time. I was on the stand, total of five minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the, the way the prosecution would present my my evidence and, and me as a uh, expert to the court, they, right. they really didn't have anybody expert on their side to challenge what I said. So rather than right. embarrass themselves, they just deferred or defaulted whatever the prosecution submitted me as. So, but a lot, yeah. a lot of times it was pretty quick. That day I think I was on stand for ten minutes.
0: That that feels like it should have been something you phoned in, yeah. Uh, then yeah. fly out all the way to California. Yeah exactly just for that uh, i did a um, few i
1: did do a few teleconference cases which was interesting because court people are not really good at audiovisual things either so we kind of struggled from different times with zoom back in the day uh, to try to make these cases work
0: yeah i can't figure out if it's better for you uh which way because uh, if you don't fly out there, you don't get the frequent flyer miles right, right, and the hotel stays right. and, and all those perks. Right. But man, it's pretty uh, painful to get those perks and <laughs> just all the time. And then knowing you were only on stand for like five or 10 exactly. minutes, it's just like, exactly. why did we do all of this? <laughs> um, is, do you have, when you go uh, on the road for these things, do you have any kind of routine? Do you? try to make sure you uh, find a good restaurant near the courtroom so that yeah. when you're dragging out all day, you don't have a bad lunch. Like w- w- what's your routine there?
1: Most of the time, the district attorney offices that we appeared at would provide the housing. So the hotel and then, you know, a dollar amount for your meals was how they okay. presented it to us. So I was usually booked in a hotel of their choosing, which was always, you know, something mid, mid-range to, to nice, so no issue there. Uh, but obviously someone near the courthouse, so I could Get there by walking, or they pick us up usually and take us to court.
0: Right. Uh Anything about the food? Because I imagine, do courtrooms have uh courthouses have cafeterias? Some, They're some, not good some,
1: do. some do, and that's you know kind of the low end of things. And then you got to wonder about what you want to eat in a cafeteria like that. So, <laughs> you know, what, what's the safest thing I can get without getting poisoned?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so would you would you eat at the courthouse or would you go elsewhere? Ba- based on
1: the time. So if I had a okay. time, you know, short, I'd be there. If not, I'd walk down the street to something I could trust.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't want to get back and find out that you're in contempt of court for not no. being there on time no. and get thrown in jail. That's the bad way of and. Uh, uh, well, I, I'm sure there's worse ways of ending up in jail, but that's a really unfortunate way. Definitely. Definitely. So thinking back, kind of on your uh, career and and uh, just moving on and, and doing this as kind of a side hustle, it sounds like, entrepreneur. Is there anything that you would go back and do differently?
1: Um, you know, probably not. I mean, not, not off the top of my head because everything that I did had been from you know, doing it before and, and seeing how it worked out for for me. And, and the advantage of AT&T's consulting role was, I told you there were other people in the country that did it besides me. So I was able to work with, the leadership team at ATP compliance to coach me in ways to answer certain questions because they've done it before too. So I always had a good bit of confidence in style and language and presentation and content, uh, with these people to help me understand how a particular audience might be at that moment. Obviously, some cases were, you know, the judge only, some were jury, you know, some had a combination maybe of both. And, uh, and, and again, trying to describe to a jury of lay people how a telephone system works is not the easiest thing to do. So I had to to break it down in the simplest of terms and then try to make sure I didn't over talk or talk too long like like that to make sure everybody understood the the creation of the records and what they were intended to do and how we're using them now.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like that's gotten harder or easier now as technology has progressed and people have gotten more acclimated to technology i think it's much
1: easier now there's there's software out there now that can scan these records and then plot all the towers as t- a telephone uses as they drive through any network at any date and time so they right. use that software now to show in court that you know phone xyz was here date time stamp and length of conversation or or text message and then make right. sure they associate it to the individual and if they can put those two together that's pretty strong evidence that they were using the device in an, in an area where the crime may have occurred.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like, um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, most regular people, cell phones were almost magical. You didn't understand any of the technology behind it. Um, now I think people do basically understand it, but there's other parts that are still magical that that you don't understand.
1: So it was a, you know, like I told you on the, you mentioned, uh, your experiences as well. In the case I had with credit cards, you know, the IP address was the indicator of where that person was using their device to log into a system that was extracting, you know, information about a person. And they, you're trying to say they weren't using, but you know, obviously, machine-to-machine connections with an IP address is pretty solid stuff. Uh, so people are getting more and more educated about that and sensitive to not using their device when they're committing crimes but, but, but they, they usually forget. They're either so proud they did it or they got away with it that they call or do something to coordinate and there you go.
0: I, I mean, I've seen cases where uh, people will log into other people's Facebook account and the houses that they broke yeah. into and log into their account. I don't know why. What, are you like posting at that point? Is that the most urgent thing uh, in the middle of a crime? But I, I don't know because I'm not a right. criminal. So right. I don't understand their, their, their thought patterns. Um, uh, okay, so um, last question yeah. for you, uh, what would you tell uh, someone who's thinking about taking the leap like you did um, and starting a side hustle or small business doing consulting work like this? I think
1: I would, I would do uh, what, what I did in a similar way, which is talk to people who have done it, and that's kind of what we're doing now. But but making sure that you understand the, the, in, the outcome of it potentially for your benefit, and then what are the, what obstacles you may encounter. So if you can understand the the net gain out of it and the, the in the the net uh, effort that it takes to get there, then I think you're in a pretty good start on beginning a side hustle, like you said, to make something work. And and it's kind of an adventure step. I mean, some people do start businesses that are you know global immediately, and others you know struggle and struggle and struggle and never get anywhere. So it takes a little bit of perseverance as well uh, to try to begin and stay the course. But make sure you're successful in whatever you want to do.
0: Yeah. Perseverance. That's the yeah. name of the game. Um, okay. Uh, David, this has been fantastic. Uh, in case our listeners need to find and connect with you, they need an expert witness on, on some telecom stuff. Where can they find you?
1: Uh, right now they can't. Huh. <laughs> you
0: are, are super yeah. stealthy. Uh, no website, no, no nothing no. else that they can. They, find they, you they
1: probably can message me on LinkedIn, but that's probably the closest they'll get to me.
0: There you go. Uh, David, this has been fantastic. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit Hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Parik. You can find out more about me at my website, sanjayparik.com.